podiobooks.com, an association with pjballantine.net and writersexchange.com, presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Ballantyne. Jerris. Guston crouched down next to it as it laid its hand on Ashime's cheek. What's the matter with them? Jerris did not hear him. Its whole being concentrated on seeing inside her head. Blood spoke to blood, as so often had been shown to them. I hear voices, it whispered. Voices in the wind. Mad things calling. I hear them pushing against the walls. Is that my father? Is that me? They call so loudly. The others gathered around, looked over their shoulders nervously, expecting to see something like it. But all seemed normal, as normal as could be expected. Damon's mouth twisted in distaste. The creature doesn't know what it's talking about. They're only sick. All of them? Solistra swept her arm around. Nearly a quarter of the wolves were paralysed in a similar fashion. Still forms lay amongst the frightened clanspeople. They are mobilising the warriors. Connor said, pulling his sword free and flicking his head about, as if expecting a monster to appear from thin air at any moment. Jerris noted wryly that the young Sitkin was hovering protectively over Ashime, who for once needed it. We'll just see about that, Solistra hurried to the outermost edge of the hall with a determined stride. Dipping into the bag slung at her hip, she pulled forth a fine grey powder. Walking with slow, measured steps, she began to step about the circumference of the room, letting the dust trickle from her fingers. Mother's magic was powerful in the domain of elements, but Jerris somehow doubted its strength here. She was only halfway about, when the walls did begin to heave and shake, just as Ashima had seen. Pressure was being exerted from outside, and nails and joints began to scream under the strain. Still, though, Jerris could feel no weaver nearby. Ashime's thoughts intruded on its own. It was hard to tell what was hers and what was its. Tangled and disjointed, it was almost impossible to hold on to a sense of individuality under the incessant voice of hers, even paralysed, she demanded Jerris's attention. Her voice hammered on, maddening in its intensity inside its head. The children began to scream in a high-pitched wailing that bordered on the hysterical. Clutching their mothers, they tried to bury their heads away. They felt something that the elders did not, a wordless fear. Somewhere, a lone surviving sheepdog growled rustily, a desperate sound that set them all on edge. Sweet mother! Connor yelled above it, his hand white about his sword hilt. Just do it, dammit! Do it! The rear wall exploded with hot orange flames burning, scampering fingers up the whole length. The heat was so intense that those nearest stumbled back, their skin blistering, hair crisping. Mothers shielded their children with their own bodies, pulling them away. The others ran to help them, yanking them back from the raging fire. Solistra darted in, standing outlined against the flames, her arms raised and her hair a bright corona about her. It was a desperate attempt to control the burn. Jerris shifted to mail and ripped the cape off the back of a woman just as the edges crinkled and came alight. The air stunk of power, yet still there was no presence of Weaver. As suddenly as it had come, the fire vanished with a slight suck of displaced air. Nothing was left to mark its passing, but the charred remains of the wall and the burns on the people. Solistra staggered a little, and Damon moved to support her. Her eyes were so dilated that she turned to Jerris, and he could not see any white in them. Gather round, Guston raised his voice to be heard over the fearful voices and the wails of frightened children. Get together, don't, don't get too close to the walls, fall back! The few warriors that remained wordlessly took their places around the perimeter, while the fallen were carried to the middle. Soon there was quite a pile in the centre, everybody scrambling not to be the closest to the treacherous walls. This is impossible, Connor murmured to Jerris. We can't just wait here to be picked off. We must fight. 
Fight what exactly? Crinus's one good eye snapped with a similar frustration. They're playing with us, Solistra said, her head bowed with weariness. They know we can go nowhere. They'll take their time. Jerris looked down at Ashimay. Her head was back, her face littered with cinder flakes from the fire, and though her green eyes were distant, they were close enough to burn him. Her numbness chewed on the ends of his nerves as he empathically shared her experience. She was trying to communicate something to him, trying to pass her conscious thoughts on to him, but that had never been the nature of their connection. Her struggle against what held her was fierce, but surely impossible. Then, miraculously, as Jerris watched, her jaw began to work. Her lips were dry, the muscles spasmed, working... "'Islanders!' was all she could manage around her paralysed body. But it was enough to set his mind working. Crouching down and taking her hand, Jerris looked about him. "'Islanders? What could she mean?' "'Gustin,' he said, drawing the warrior over to him. "'Those fallen wolves, are they from the outer islands?' The other cocked his head to one side, his eyes sliding over the fallen. "'Ah, uh, think so.' Jerris's mind was struggling. Lou, he had heard the southern tones in the godling's voice, so presumably there could be island blood in him. Merrick and Ashime, she had told him about their meeting on the boat from the islands. Crinus, Guston and Rozo, though, they were from Crisfell. Rozo had no blood in him. Something's very wrong here, Jerris mused, looking down at the fair-haired warrior. That would be an understatement, Connor hissed, his eyes flickering from the treacherous walls to Ashime's still form. Whatever you're thinking of doing, it now would be a very good time. Just as Jerris bent down for a closer look at Rozo, the building surrendered to the forces tearing it apart. The wind had risen to a roar, as if the earth herself had joined the attack, and then the walls were plucked aside. Just as swiftly, the wind dropped around them. Three men, their lace mere rags about them, grinned at those now exposed. Murder and madness were in their eyes. Indeed, they were makers. A wolf, faster to recover than the rest, screamed in anger and frustration and charged at the nearest. Jerris didn't think he'd ever seen so brave or foolish an act. Their tormentor, his matted hair sticky about him and grimy spikes, gave little attention to the trained warrior bearing down on him. That in itself should have warned them. One flippant offhand gesture and the earth rose up. With hardly a time for a scream, the wolf was gone, smothered in rock. The middle maker turned his fixed expression on the remaining people. Smiling broadly, he ran his fingers like light spiders eerily down his arm. Flame followed after, jumping and leaping along his flesh. They were little puppets at his command. Well trained, even in the face of such insanity, the scarlet wolves pulled their formation tight so that the bulk of them were between the women and the children and the makers. The third moved now, his limbs long and lucid, his stare hard as the rock beneath his feet. The warriors barred his way with shield and steel. The first he reached lashed out with his blade. The maker did not even need to gesture. The obedient wind swept up, carrying the man away like a leaf. They could all hear the thump as he was dropped from a great height onto the unyielding ground. Jerris tried to block all of this from him. Even as he knew death stalked towards them, he grasped his train of thought. Out of the side of his vision, he registered Solistra, slipping once more to their defence. Their only divine defence. Their last hope. Though the air was icy, it throbbed with power. The mother defied the makers, her face alive with the golden sun of divinity. White light. All could see now how she'd really earned her name. Her hair had come loose about her, spraying out in bone-pale circumference. Her hands held aloft, fingers wide. She fought for their lives. It couldn't last long. Never had makers joined together like this. 
One mother could not possibly prevail against their mad power. Quickly, Jerris urged himself. The secret lay locked in the head of the man before him. Lightly, ever so lightly, Jerris laid his hands on Rozo's forehead. Locking out the cries of terror and the pulse of power, he sought a way into the warrior's mind. Rozo denied him. The walls of his personality would break no entry. If only Jerris knew his weakness. A path in. Empathically, Jerris understood. Shaking off male, Jerris slipped into the lighter, more emotive female form. Ah, yes. Rozo, in his adult state, saw another in her place. Red in the place of gold. Ashime, the woman he still loved. The physical world dulled about her as she entered his soul plane. What a lonely place it was. Time measured in the slow heartbeat of the man. The light wit and sociable nature concealed a great well of sadness and guilt. I never meant to hurt you, Rosa whispered to himself again and again. I never meant to hurt you. The dark pleasures of the flesh, combined with the man's weakness, had led him down that slippery slope, ending all between him and Ashley. Connor had once remarked he was a fool, and indeed Jerris had thought so. But now she knew the truth. Rosa was afraid of living, of becoming precious to anyone. His flaw had been his downfall. Yet the greatest sorrow in his life was that he still loved her, stuck between pulling her close and holding her at arm's length. This, then, was the way Giselle had entered him. The guilt was the tunnel to the very depths of his soul, and even while he dedicated his life to obeying Ashime, his inner demons were working against him. Giselle drew the makers to him, and Rozo didn't have the internal strength to repel her. Jerris could feel the malignancy eating away at the warrior, the blame he still carried within him even after all these years. Giselle could not have hoped for a better host. Jerris alone couldn't pull her loose, but had a powerful ally in Rozo, if he could be stirred to action. Don't you see, Jerris insisted, don't you see, Rozo, that you never really lost her, or her love? Don't you see it in her eyes, that she will never stop loving you, no matter what you have done? She's forgiven you. Forgiven me? Forgiven me? The landscape of the warrior's soul shuddered and heaved. The thin gossamer thread of Giselle sped from her hiding place, shaken loose by Rozo's own realisation. Jerris followed speedily into the physical realm. The weaver's power was revealed, losing its shielding from Jerris. Rozo gasped where he lay, as if his body was drowning. He bucked once, and the pale form of Giselle was spun free. Denied her power base, the weaver had not the strength to hold the others paralysed. The wolves, Ashime, Merrick and Rozo, too, rose shakily to their feet, slightly dazed, but unhurt by the experience. Jerris felt them move to aid the defence of the clan. Ashime took up her sword again, standing shoulder to shoulder with young Connor. Rozo and Merrick managed to squeeze between Crinus and Guston, fighting at less than their best. But most importantly, Lou joined Solistra, his powers easing her burden. Now the makers were in trouble especially since Giselle in her attempt at flight had abandoned them. Their tenuous hold on reality could hardly bear up under the pressure of a very real fight. In the confusion, Giselle hoped to make her escape, but Jerris was ill-inclined to allow her that luxury. Female form was discarded as it called on its own considerable resources. Stretching forth one arm, it grasped the elusive threads of the other's weaver form, aided by a far better understanding of its own powers. Giselle turned her shadowy eyes, fixed in terror at so unusual a sensation. The physical world had a very fleeting hold on her, and yet here was Jerris pulling her from the sky. She tried to disguise her fear beneath bravado.
Turning back on herself, she dove at the other with her sideways claws. Didn't I Didn't teach I you last time, Tarfling? You are no you match, are for, match me. for me. Jerris simply wasn't there when she struck. Oh, poor Giselle. I've grown considerably in understanding and strength since then. And I think we both know I am no halfling. The clan Lystra watched eyes wide as the strange creature dodged and wove eerie patterns in the air with a creature that seemed a ghost to them. All the while a fleeting smile lingered on its lips. Jerris felt sorry for the other, a fey weaver creature scarcely understanding the nature of the physical. Still, she could not be allowed to escape and repeat her evils elsewhere, but perhaps she could be persuaded to the right course. She battered at its defences like a peeved child, with little hope of repeating the torture she had inflicted at Skellig. This creature that faced her now was quite different. See, Giselle, it said mildly, your makers are quite undone. Indeed they were. With nothing to hold their sanity to them, and faced with the linked might of a godling and a mother, they were quickly crumbling. The middle-maker, indeed, had lost all grip on his incendiary powers. He lay quietly as the rolling flames consumed his body, eating flesh, bone, and blood away. The warriors were circling the remaining ones cautiously. The maker's mad laughter was almost jerking them off their feet. No chance now remained for the gossamer weaver. There was no chance of returning to the embrace of the alpha. Seeing nothing but failure and pain in her future, the creature hurled herself, screaming at Jerris. Inside it, she would be able to make it pay. Jerris had no choice. Bringing its two hands together, back to back, and forming powerful claws, it caught Giselle on them, ripping her fragile form apart. Her death knell was a whimper, more than a shriek. Her last gasp, a whisper on the breeze. Jerris sunk to its knees. Around it, the fight drew to an inevitable conclusion. Ashime was a grim shadow of red and dark, her blades flashing around her, slipping Maker's head from body. The last tried to escape, summoning the Earth's forces to carry him beneath and beyond danger. Lou and Solistra, though, were relentless, seeming the very pinnacle of divine retribution. The Earth he had sought to control crushed him down coldly. His mouth filled with rocks and stones. His screams were mercifully cut off once he was pulled under. Afterwards, there was no joy. All knew that this was just a taste of what would fall on Skellig. Jerris, Ashime was at its side, anxiously pulling aside its hair, trying to judge its condition. He saved us all. It looked up, dully, its golden skin pale. Saved you all. Indeed. Yes, I suppose. She didn't understand. You were wonderful. Wonderful? Jerris rose smoothly to its feet, amber gaze raking over them all. <laughs> She was just what I am. Don't you see? Just what I am. It spun away from those creatures it hardly knew. Inside, there was the familiar rasp of pain. Surely for all these weeks it had been telling itself a tremendous lie. It had nothing in common with these people. Looking back through inhuman, alien eyes, they were nothing really new or understood. And it had just killed one more like itself than any of them. In their defence... Jerris had never felt more alone. Not daring say anything further, it strode off into the snow. As she may waited, somewhere over the ridge, Jerris was battling the fires of its own sacrifice. Choices. Always choices. As she may sighed, watching the wolves gather the clan's remnants. She'd gone through her own pain over them. She could see that moment, that defining moment in her life, when she could have gone one way or another. 
Of course, at the time, she hadn't realised how much that one kiss would cost her. Garen holding her fast between the tower gate, immersed in shadow and passion. It had seemed like any other wonderful instant. His whisper, Come to my room. And she had chosen to go. How would things have been different for her, for all of them, had she not? Jerris was perhaps regretting its own decisions towards her, the way she regretted her own about Garen. Yet she sensed that it had seen it coming. From the first time they had met, there had been something of an understanding between them. She recalled its lack of surprise about its hut being burned, and its willingness to follow her to Skellig. She owed Jerris a lot, at least for its friendship and love. Ash. Rosa stood behind her, shuffling his feet in the snow, his eyes averted. His step had no spring in it, nor any of the customary twinkle in his eye. No apologies needed, Rosa, she said, knowing his heart as well as she did. I think there is, Ash. I can never forget that it was me that brought all this down on us. All these people died, all those wolves. They're all on my head. It could have been... No, he snapped, his voice hard and brittle. No, Ash, don't say it. Don't say it could have been any of us, because we both know that isn't the truth. She whispered things to me. She knew that I was weak. As she may wanted to hug him, imprint her forgiveness onto him. Tell him that in all of their history, nearly ten years, meant more to her than he could understand. But she knew that he'd take it the wrong way. And I am weak, he continued. I am. Always have been. I messed it up with you because of that. And I never even apologised. He looked at her then, holding her with a pained expression. So I want you to know I'm sorry. Really sorry. After that, there was nothing for her to say. So she quietly let him go back to the others. Some bridges can never be mended. Without even raising her head, she felt Jerris return, its feet sinking into the snow under a masculine weight. They both knew the other was there, could tell without looking, yet they remained apart. And some wounds are tender still, as she may reminded herself. But they will heal. Right, she stirred herself into action. Locating Lou and Solicitor in the press, she pulled them aside. Time for you to do something about that rock slide. Skellig needs us. Garen stepped down off the dark ship. The part of them that was still the Duke rejoiced in the homecoming. The part that was Alpha also celebrated at the first feel of Crisfell's soil. The seas had been lucky enough to allow several of the delicate ships to cross the channel. There was too much lost by delaying. This force was not even half of what waited to come over. The original plan was for the spring winds and tides to draw them naturally to Crisfell. But that plan had fallen by the wayside. The Alpha was nothing if not a creature of change. By risking some of its power in reaching Crisfell early, it gambled on quelling the problem of Ashime before it became more. Yes, this Ashime Kandra was merely another hurdle to be overcome, and perhaps an enjoyable one. Life was not life without challenge, and it was merely a matter of time until she rejoined with the whole. Perhaps it would allow her a measure of independence. Perhaps make her a prime. The Garen spark still struggled within, but feebly now, scarcely surprising that one so self-serving 
hung on to individuality grimly. But soon, like a moth hammering against the glass, it would either give up in weariness or smash itself to pieces. A sliver of consciousness moved the rest of the weavers from the dark ship to the shore. Most were mere animated flesh, but some were also the more valuable primes. These clans could fight fiercely, the Alpha recalled. The Duke's memory served it well. All the corridors of Skellig were familiar. All the guards, too. Oh, yes. And Ashimay. The Alpha savoured memories of her for a moment, like a sweet candy. On a hilltop overlooking Skellig, her copper hair free and blowing in the wind, as gentle fingers tracing swirls in the nape of his neck, as she kissed him deeply. Another in the full night, as she told him her darkest fears, her father's death, Roso's betrayal. All these things could be used. These, and things she couldn't know yet. But she would know. When flesh bowed to flesh, and blood to blood, then she would understand it all, and become part of us, the Garen within whispered. Finally, and completely, part of us. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an e- or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantine.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.